Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Real Women Real Estate, episode nine. Our quote for today is, when money realizes that it is in good hands, it wants to stay and multiply in those hands. Yes. And that is by Dowu Koyendikin. Today's special guest is Raymond Sykes, who is a senior loan officer for New American Funding. With over seven years of mortgage industry experience, Raymond has closed over 300 loans in 15 states. Wow. Raymond, yes, yeah. that's a lot. That's I'm surprised about the 15 states. That's yeah, right, because right. I yeah. thought they were regional, but let's get there. I mean, you know. Yeah. This is intro, y'all. I know. <laughs> so excited. We can't wait to get it pumping. Let's go. Raymond has hundreds of positive reviews from his from the people he has assisted, so it's safe to say he goes above and beyond for his clients. Recently, he has transitioned to a purchase consulting role, but still actively assists current homeowners. We want to welcome Raymond for being our first male <laughs> Uh, host, uh, co-host to the Real Women Real Estate Podcast. We were super excited to talk to you and learn more about your journey. I appreciate you guys having me. I really feel honored. Kim didn't share this portion with me that I'd be the first. It's intentional. It's intentional. <laughs> no, I really appreciate it. No pressure whatsoever. No pressure. <laughs> first male <laughs> guest. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so let's start off with um, the basics because this is considered the basics um, session. What is a loan officer and what do they do? So um, my job is essentially or it consists of um, essentially knowing what sort of loan options are available to um, whichever type of client that I'm speaking with. Um, essentially what we do is we gather basic information from each one of our clients about uh, what sort of goals they have, what sort of, you know, um, like what they're trying to accomplish, long story short. Um, and then once we identify what they're trying to accomplish, uh, from there, we kind of, you know, touch on some of the income. Obviously, that kind of gives us a gauge as to what you have coming in on a monthly or maybe yearly or weekly or however you're familiar with the basis. And then in addition, we touch on, you know, a little bit of your credit and your liabilities to get an idea as to what um, you have going out. Between the two of them, we can derive at what sort of monthly obligation we can, you know, we can actually qualify you for. Um, and then at that point, we um, essentially are doing a little bit of reverse engineering to identify, um, you know, a, a total loan amount if you're looking into purchasing. Um, but if it's a refinance, then at that stage, we're just trying to identify, you know, whether you're trying to save some money monthly, maybe you're looking to consolidate, uh, perhaps you want to use some of the equity to you know, invest, uh, maybe you want to, you know, continue building out that kitchen, whatever it is that you have, you know, whatever sort of goals you had uh, set. Uh, my goal is essentially, or my job is pretty much to gather all that information and identify the best loan option for you and then gather the information that we need in order to submit that to essentially what is um, termed as an underwriter. And they're just the individuals who kind of get the final say so as to um, whether or not you're approved for a loan program. Um, but for the most part, our job is just really consistently answering questions, making sure that we're um, responsive to um, our clients. Just It's a larger um, customer service job to be candid with. You just pays a little bit. All right. So question, is that, um, would you say that you're the first step to a home buyer? So first time home buyer, would you say that you're the first step or what is your approach with working with a first-time home buyer all right so without stepping on courtney's toes like i think in the past most people would actually go and talk to their realtor first like they would eventually say hey, you know what 
you know, I know somebody who knows uh, the, the market and is familiar with what um, price points are, you know, out there in addition to like what homes might be available because realtors truly, they have like a, uh, a database. They have information that we as like you know, just normal borrowers or you know, potential buyers just don't have access to. So I think in the past, the goal was to essentially just align yourself with the realtor so they can kind of put you in a position. And then from there, um, they'll help you find a home and then assist you when it comes to a lender and so forth. Uh, being that nowadays there's a lot of um, direct lending taking place where you used to go strictly to like maybe your local banks or credit unions. Now that there's a large, um, I guess a large, I would say presence online for direct lending, we've kind of eliminated the requirement to have like the uh, larger um, overhead. So our rates and our costs are typically a little bit more um, competitive. So what we found is that a lot of our clients are coming to find out what they're approved for. Um, they want to know exactly what their monthly payments would be, what they need to come out of pocket with or what they can anticipate before they speak with the realtor. Um, and I think it actually bids well for the realtor just because they know that the client's actually done some sort of due diligence. Um, they know what they can afford. They know that they're actually serious. Um, so in, in, in my experiences, I would suggest talking to one of us first, um, merely just because again, um, when you do talk to your realtor, they'll know that you're ready to move. They'll react a little differently when they know you're legitimately trying to purchase a home as opposed to just maybe, you know, sightseeing. Maybe you just saw the open house and you wanted to just go see what was inside. Um, nowadays, I think a lot of realtors are requiring you to have a pre-approval letter or a pre-qualification letter before, you know, they waste their time or not waste their time, but before they spend time um, trying to show you, you know, different residences. Courtney, go ahead. You had a question. <laughs> No, I just wanted to say that. So right now I had an agent tell me unless your uh, unless he's your client has been properly vetted, you cannot come to this property, even though it's vacant, even though uh, just during COVID, just don't want extra looky loos inside the house unless you are really serious. Have you gone through the virtual listing first and have you fully vetted them? Send over that pre-qualification letter, send over everything you possibly can, and then you can come and see the house. But no looky-loos coming through during COVID. So wow. it's wow. working really slight. well with the lender, you know, the loan officer making sure, hey, are, are, they, are they legit? Are they for real? <laughs> because I can't come in here and you know, be playing around with the, uh, with the agent and a listing. Like we need to be coming in here serious. And there's a slight difference between what we can offer between a pre-qualification and a pre-approval letter. Um, a pre-qualification letter essentially means that from, you know, my own personal experiences and knowing uh, what you've shared with me as far as maybe a phone conversation or perhaps um, even, even through email, um, that I think that you would be qualified for a purchase based on the information you shared. Typically, I'm not going to issue a pre-qualification letter without reviewing credit because I can't even um, identify like kind of a ratio without it. Um, but it still allows me to, you know, give you something so that as far as um, a realtor or maybe even an you know, open house is concerned, you can go out and, and actually um, start the process. But which I think you're really looking for is a pre-approval. Um, that's really what you have to provide documentation like, you know, pay stubs or W-2s or whatever they require um, as far as a lender is concerned. I mean, at that point, they're going to just take all that information, submit it to an underwriter, and then they'll place their stamp of approval on what would normally just be that pre-qualification letter. But at that point, you've actually solidified your financing. And I can attest, and I'm sure you all will be as well, that, you know, the first time you purchase a home, there's probably nothing that's going to offer you more peace of mind and solace than knowing that you've already done the hard part. That's really good information. I wasn't aware that there was a difference really between pre-qualification and pre-approval. 
Um, that's so huge. They, yeah. Huge. Yeah. The pre-qualification portion again, will, you know, they'll, they have talked to somebody, um, but as far as them like actually proceeding and like offering them the information that you need in order to actually facilitate a loan, um, they're, they're just, you know, they, they haven't gotten that far quite yet. Okay, so wanna just pick your brain a little bit. You don't have to get too specific, but we're talking really from a pr the perspective of a first time home buyer for this question. What types of home buying programs are out there? I know we've heard like, oh, there's, there's different qualifications you have to meet. You don't have to have a perfect credit score. You don't have to have a ton of money for a down payment. But can you give us like a little bit more specifics? Like what are those programs called? And if somebody's listening and maybe they're on the fence about beginning the, you know, the process of buying a home, what types of programs should they ask their professionals for? I should probably ask, is this predicated for like nationally or like, are we talking like specifically in Texas? Are we talking specifically in Cali or does it We does have it listeners in All every America. area code. So maybe okay. go national. National. <laughs> okay. So from a um, first time home buyer standpoint, typically every city, or every city, every state offers um, some sort of down payment assistance. To my understanding, I think um, from like California, um, I know Nevada, Texas, like Washington and Oregon, like all the states that I'm actually licensed in, I know without question, they offer some sort of down payment assistance. It's going to vary from state to state. Um, what they offer in California is going to be completely different than what they would do in Texas or Nevada or any other state for that matter. Um, they, there are some going to be some similarities between them. Typically, you're looking at, oh, I should take a step back. I'm sorry. I just thought about something. When we had this coronavirus and the um, mortgage industry um, started seeing, and I'm sure you guys are aware, the rates started dropping significantly to the point where everybody started like wanting to refinance or buy a home. What that meant to the mortgage industry is that normally we see about three or four million applications per month as far as an industry is concerned, not my company, but the industry. That last month we saw about 12 million uh, applications. So it just kind of overwhelmed everybody to the point where lenders started increasing their rates despite what the feds were willing to do because they just don't have the manpower. Um, in addition, what took place was because there were so many adjustments as far as pricing is concerned throughout the course of a day, the lender started to adjust their guidelines for, um, for their minimum requirements. What used to be, and I think it'll eventually get back to that, so that's kind of the reason why I brought it up, what used to be for an FHA loan or a USDA loan or a VA loan, all the government loan programs that require the least amount of down payment. So usually kind of, I guess, identified with maybe more first-time home buyers. They used to be able to get in with a 580 credit score. As of like two weeks ago, I would say a healthy portion of the lenders increased it to about 640. Um, so that's knocked out a large portion of individuals who um, were maybe considering purchasing the home or were in the process or were just, you know, shopping around at that time. I will say that some lenders will um, acknowledge that if you've already completed an application and your credit was less than 640, they'll still uh, proceed with a loan program. But with that being the case, as far as first-time home buyers are concerned, the minimum amount that you can actually go into a home without down payment assistance is usually like 3%. That's pretty much across the board. There's definitely like a USDA loan option or a VA loan for the veterans, which doesn't require any down payment. Um, but for the USDA loan options, it has to be in a rural area. It can't be like in a, uh, a larger city. Um, but those are probably, I guess, if you will, kind of, again, the parameters for, for first time. 
Um, again, they've, they've kind of adjusted more recently within like the last two or three weeks just because of the uncertainty with the market. Yeah, I've heard that. And I, I sent that to the ladies that that um, <laughs> that they're changing the requirements for that. Also, for VA, I heard that uh, they're no longer covering 100% of the loan anymore. Like they've changed that as well. In the so last that's, that's the, in the last like two yeah. or three weeks. So that's that's wow. only if you are, per. I mean, that's if you're refinancing or taking cash out or equity out. Um, if you are buying, they'll still finance 100%. Um, so you still don't have to have a down payment from VA. Um, but if in the event that you're looking to okay. take advantage of the equity in your home, with the exception of Texas, I mean, you really couldn't, Texas, you can't do it up to you know 90% or 100% period. But uh, every other state um, has gone from it from 100% down to 90%. Wow. Yeah. And then are you still able to lock in, lock in this low rate? Or can you promise this rate that as of as of today if we're coming in can you promise this rate at this time absolutely so what what, what typically takes place in a, a normal application process or a normal conversation is um, as i mentioned earlier we have the uh you know talk about what you're trying to accomplish <clears throat> excuse me we discuss a little bit about your income your credit and at that point i can share with you you know hey this is what uh, we can offer you based on um, whatever it is you're looking to accomplish if you're at a higher rate and you're saying hey i want to reduce my rate and i say this is you know based on this your credit based on the amount of equity you have in your home the type of residence it is as well as the um, type of occupancy that you hold um, this is what sort of rate and uh, monthly obligation we can provide you with and if you're willing to proceed um, then at that time we're locking in interest rates for a, a minimum of 60 days um, when the market is isn't as as beneficial to um, home buyers and potential homeowners it's usually like 30 days it's like usually a 30 or 45 day time frame but um, right now, just because, again, like I said, it's been so um, volatile in addition to just such an influx of applications. It's a, it's about a 60 day process for, for us. Some cases, maybe 90 or 120. What do you think? Um, I know you can't predict the future and I'm going a little rogue lady, so I apologize. But what do you think um, the like, what do you think the future is going to be? Do you think that the way COVID is, is we're starting to see a flattening of the curve that interest rates are going to start to go down? Or do you think that, um, are, are they going to go back up? Like, what do you so, think is going to happen? This is a little different than what took place in 09, like whenever the financial crisis took place previously, because that was actually real estate and mortgage related. Um, at that point in time, we were just handing money out like it was free and didn't care if you had a credit score, we were just hoping you had a pulse. And it was just like <laughs> the wild, wild west. Yeah. Um, and so it was a little different in the sense that there was just too many homes with not enough, quite frankly, um, legitimate and capable borrowers to actually afford and to even occupy some of those residences. So I do think that this instance is a little different because um, granted, there's a lot of Americans that are obviously suffering and would be out of them, employment, uh, which definitely will have an impact on um, just an industry as a whole. Uh, I, I do anticipate rates to remain where they are, though, for I'd say at least to the end of this year. It's an election year, so combination of what we're currently dealing with, plus the fact that it is an election year, I think will constitute us remaining low. I also think that this industry is like one of the few industries that's like a requirement to actually sustain. As y'all are probably aware, you know, when they bailed out people in the first go around, um, a lot of the people didn't necessarily think that was necessary. Um, I, I was probably just as, um, uh, I would say probably just as, um, what's the word I'm looking for, um, convinced that it wasn't as necessary as well. But in hindsight, um, the mortgage industry, man, it, it 
it's kind of like a, um, a safe haven. Um, ultimately, there's not, I think, a safer investment in that most Americans are going to make their mortgage payment. And so that's typically Absolutely. where I think that, um, you know, why I see like the, the industry in this particular epidemic kind of resuscitating. I don't think it's going to have the type of impact it did back in 2009. Um, but I definitely think that the rates are going to remain low for at least the next year. They've, they've never been this low, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen where the Fed has actually went to zero. But even then, it doesn't necessarily, they don't always correlate just exactly. But I, I, I would imagine that they stay low for the remainder. Yeah, and I think you touched on something that was really important. There was two things there. Number one was this an election year. Rates don't typically go up during election year. Really? <laughs> you you want to get reelected, you better keep those interest rates down, right? Exactly. And we know how our president feels about uh, interest rates, just speaking out directly to the feds via tweet. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who does that, right? But um, that's that's literally what happens. And then, um, you know, I think the other thing is just, just you know, just people being just being sick right now. Right now. A lot of the economists are saying that this is going to be a foreclosure, you know, short sell uh, economy that's coming up. So I know a, a lot of uh, agents, you know, in California, are, are preparing for that because the home are, the houses are just so expensive here. Um, so no, I think that's key. I think that's really important nuggets that you just dropped. Really, really important things that you just said. So I, I want to get back because I kind of took us off into a tangent because there's just so much just good information um, out there and just so much like uncertainty out there. But um, taking it back to the basics, taking it back to just learning. Um, 101 there's there's some differences between the types of programs and um, can you explain the difference between FHA and conventional and you know, I know there's some obvious differences but what are some things that we may not know yeah so from um, just from a basic standpoint I mean there's really four different loan programs that most people are going to look and qualify for they, they call them qualified mortgages uh, because they're backed by all government sponsored entities like Fannie Mae Freddie Mac um, they're the ones that offer conventional loan options. And then Jenny May is actually uh, responsible for VA and FHA. And then obviously the United States Department of Agriculture is, is uh, obviously behind any USDA loan option. Um, so you pretty much find yourself within four different categories. Um, for FHA, um, the um, requirement is three and a half percent down. Um, it used to be kind of referred to as the first time home loan buyer, first time home buyer's loan option. Uh, merely because um, the conventional loan option didn't always offer as low as 3%. Uh, it used to be one of those things that you had to put down 10 to 20%, which, um, you know, on $200,000 or even $100,000 can be a lot of money. Um, so those are, um, I guess, the primary differences between the conventional and FHA. Obviously, veterans are the only ones that can take advantage of VA loans. And um, obviously, if you live in a city or if you're not in a rural area, you won't be able to take advantage of the USDA loan. But the um, one thing that I would share with most individuals or that I speak with um, concerning the two is that if you're utilizing an FHA loan, um, you're using it because your credit score is probably a little less than 700. Um, and I'd say maybe even a little less than 680 because actually at 680, you can still get some good rates with the conventional. But if your score is a little lower than 680, um, if you have a little higher of a debt to income ratio, the uh, FHA has a little looser guidelines than perhaps a conventional loan. Um, but if your credit is a little higher um, and you don't have that type of ratio, then I would say that you might want to move forward with a conventional loan option. Typically, you'll see that FHA rates are lower than conventional loan rates. 
And that's because the mortgage insurance stays on the loan for the duration of the loan, no matter how long you've been in the loan, no matter how much equity you end up obtaining. Um, since that is the case, they typically have a little bit lower of an interest rate. Um, but whereas with a conventional loan, the mortgage insurance is referred to as private mortgage insurance. It's actually um, issued by you know, a company that you or I could own. Um, and we're just, you know, ensuring that the, this particular borrower is going to make their payment. That, um, that PMI is actually based off of the same things that you would be based off or qualified for when it comes to a mortgage. So, um, whereas an FHA doesn't take into consideration your credit, doesn't take into consideration your, um, you know, equity in the home. It doesn't take into consideration, um, uh, just the, the normal, I guess, requirements for a loan. Uh, PMI on a conventional loan takes all that in consideration. So I would say that the biggest difference, again, is just lower rates with an FHA um, and it's going to be mortgage insurance that sustains throughout the, the entire life of the loan. And then on a conventional loan option, you're looking at um, having a little bit lower of a PMI. And um, obviously you can also get rid of it once you have enough equity in your residence. So I have a quick question for you. And I think Kim and I were, were discussing this before on that piece about the uh, mortgage insurance staying if you have like an FHA loan. Mm -hmm. How do you, I know you said like it stays there no matter like how good your credit is, um, how much equity you get, but like, can you like refinance to get out of that? Or absolutely. is that the only way to get out of it? Just to refinance it's to get out of it. Yeah, it's to refi or to sell your house. Um, unfortunately, that's the only two ways to get out of the uh, FHA mortgage insurance. Um, mm. With a conventional loan, if you get like, for instance, PMI, um, if you're in the loan for typically like 10 or 11 years, the PMI will eventually fall off. Um, and if your credit is high enough, and this is a this is kind of like a really good, um, I would say this is probably something that most people don't necessarily touch on, but even if you don't have um, like the 20% to put down so that you are going to maintain PMI, if your credit is extremely well and you have like really good qualifications, high credit, low debt to income, the lenders will offer you what's called, or they can offer you um, a lender paid mortgage insurance option. So the rate might be a little higher, but that PMI that you pay each month that goes to somebody else's pocket that doesn't increase your equity, doesn't help with your principal balance, um, you might get a little bit higher of a rate, but you can get rid of that PMI. And obviously you'll save money monthly. And with the money that you're saving, if you do reapply it to your mortgage or your loan, um, obviously you'll, you'll pay your house off a lot sooner as well. But um, to answer your question originally, uh, for an FHA, the only way to get out of that is to refinance out. Hmm. Okay, thank you. So let's talk a little bit more about your personal career, right? You said you've been in the industry for over seven years. You are able to do loans in over 15 states. Number one, how did that happen? <laughs> how are you able to do it in so many different states? And then number two, what is your recommendation for someone considering a career as a loan officer? Great question. So I started working for a company called Loan Depot, um, which is a um, it's a direct lender. I'm sure you guys have heard of Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage. Everybody's heard of Quicken Loans, Rocket Mortgage. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. All the mortgage brokers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All They're the like commercials. The, uh, exactly. They're kind of like the Walmart of our industry. Shade. A shade, just a little bit. <laughs> No, they're just they're just a really large institution, um, and Loan Depot um, is kind of similar to I'd say um, just like a I mean 
uh, not necessarily Lone Depot, but New American, the company I work with now, they're kind of more like a Publix or like a Trader Joe's, the same husband and wife that um, opened the doors in 2003 are the same husband and wife that uh, keep our doors open currently. And there's like a direct lender kind of in between the two of them, between Quicken and ourselves, and they're, they're referred to as Lone Depot. Um, and Lone Depot was actually started by a gentleman by the name of Anthony Shea. Uh, who used to be the CEO, if I'm not mistaken, at E-Trade, and there was another company that he also uh, helped create. And he wanted to get back into mortgages. And in doing such, um, he realized that he needed to create a uh, mortgage office or a loan officer um, that was in a position to um, really just communicate with people, like they just have personable skills. And he what was telling us the story or the reason why he kind of like, uh, how, how the opportunity arose was he, had a young lady that he would go see at a restaurant that he, uh, one of his favorite restaurants in California, I can't remember the name of it, but the young lady that he would go see, um, everybody that he would bring, all of his clients that he would bring in to see, to, to, to meet, um, they would take, she would take care of them and they would always rave about her and always rave about how wonderfully she does and, uh, you know, how much they wish that she could be a part of their staff and things of that nature. And so he'd ask her, he's like, you know, how much do you know about mortgages? And she was like, you really don't know anything about mortgages, which uh, I, I honestly fell into the exact same boat when I first got into this. And um, he mentioned to her that, you know, I would just, I'd be willing to teach you um, everything you need to know about mortgages because you have a trait that we just can't teach just regular bankers, people who are just, you know, in a, you know, institution that are, you know, either, um, or either um, tellers or, you know, they actually do mortgages or whatever they do. They just don't have that personality. Um, and so he essentially brought her on. And from that point forward, it kind of opened the doors for other individuals like myself um, who didn't have any mortgage experience to um, at least find out what was uh, available to us. And from that, and, and, and once I actually got in the door, somebody actually suggested it to me. A friend of mine was like, hey man, you know, I've, I've learned from waiting tables from you and bartending. And obviously you went to the food truck, you know, phase. Um, you know, I think you'd be really good at this because you know how to speak to people. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And he's like, yeah, I'm a mortgage officer. And I'm like, well, what does that entail? He you know, starts telling me a little about what, you know, his day-to-day -day routines are. And I'm like, man, I don't know anything about mortgages, man. I don't know if this is a, a good look for me. And uh, he's like, no, just trust me, just trust me, man. So I, I went to the interview and um, the interview was like a group interview. So I just remember sitting there and being like, man, I'm not really sure if this is what's for me, but I will tell you, and I know this kind of like from a spiritual standpoint, um, I was 29 when I first got into this, and I remember being in the hospitality and service industry and telling, um, kind of like not telling myself, but recently being baptized, like the previous March, I had been praying. I had been like literally pleading and praying, like, Lord, please give me out this industry. Like, uh, I enjoyed it. You know, I think I've, I've gotten out of it what I intended on it. Like, I, I it was, you know, kind of running its, you know, its, its um, cycle at this point. I felt like I was just kind of spinning my wheels. And I was turning 30 at uh, that May, and I was like, just whatever I got to do to get out of this uh, industry before I turn 30, I will be forever dead. Heavenly Father, just get me out of here. And the, the interview took place on the 28th, and I started working on that uh, on the 30th, um, like two days prior to my birthday. And the wow. whole um, the whole like premise of the reason why uh, the CEO at the time um, was comfortable hiring me was because he um, was very, very much um, in love with the fact that I had a bacon food truck. Like the whole idea of me opening a food truck that was centered around the cuisine of bacon, bacon um, he was just like really, you know, um, I guess impressed by because he was like, man, to see something go from on paper to actually come into fruition, um, you know, I, I I think that was kind of like the, uh, I guess, the seal 
And um, once we get in there, once we get into Loan Depot, their goal is to teach you mortgages, but they also have to, in order to be a, a mortgage loan officer, you have to pass a certain amount of credit checks. Um, so you can't have like a lot of derogatories, anything that's outstanding, like collections, uh, judgments, anything of that, that nature. You have to get that taken care of. Um, and then in addition to your credit and your own personal, I guess, um, uh, finances, obviously we have a background check make sure that, you know, you don't have any sort of felonies, no sort of um, financial um, discrepancies that's, you know, taken place in the past. And then we also have to do a lot of testing. Um, we take probably more, we take, um, I say, or I'll put it this way. We, the whole training process was approximately eight weeks. Six weeks of it was studying for the test. Two week portion was just the sales and, hey, we can teach you mortgages because, you know, now that you know what the products are and know, you know, how to talk to people, you know, what, what you're actually selling, we can teach you how to put the stuff in the computer and so forth. But the six week portion was just learning how um, to pass the test. And there's um, specific state tests um, for certain states. And then there's a general test for like 33 states. Um, so as long as you pass that general test, um, you can be, um, you, you're essentially um, qualified to at least apply for a license for at least 33 states. Um, I passed that first, obviously that general test, and then there was a, some additional state testing um, that they wanted us to actually have because it, it benefited the company to have certain individuals um, available for those specific states. Like, I will say that in my experiences, um, I've worked for three different companies, but each one of them has had a uh, office that's been um, a headquarters here in Texas, Dallas to be specific, um, one in California, Arizona, Michigan, and typically somewhere on the East Coast, like uh, North Carolina, or maybe even Florida. Um, but they always have them in those different time zones so that um, if you're you know, trying to talk about mortgages at seven o'clock on the East Coast, you're not you know, talking to somebody who's on the West Coast who's still trying to you know, wrap up their night before. Um, so it is one of those things that like, that's how they kind of identify with how many states or how you're going to get states. And initially it was 12 and then every place I've gone, I've just kind of, um, I guess at that point just started adding additional, uh, additional states, but it is a life changer, man. I don't necessarily know exactly, uh, what I would have been doing differently. Um, I went, I got here to, to go to UTB. I feel like I was, you know, in a very good position when I left school or left, I left home or left Houston. I graduated from Bel Air. I had every intentions of coming out here to go to UTD and finished in like three or four years. Um, but got, like I said, into the service industry and started doing service industry and insurance and all kinds of different things. And then finally found my, uh, my passion or purpose, I guess, with this, just because it's, it's, I don't, I mean, I don't really know what other career I would have actually done this much in this well, or uh, felt like I've been as uh, successful. Now that you've seen some of these deals coming across, are you interested in investing now that you kind of dabbled into the mortgage side? Has it Absolutely. piqued your interest to, to see where you can expand it? Absolutely. Buy some land? Yeah, the, the goal would be to um, essentially do the same thing. I mean, I'm, Ken and I touched on it a little bit or I've had conversations a little bit, but the goal is to essentially just utilize the first property to kind of um, I guess kind of slingshot you to a portfolio. I want to kind of own one of everything, whether it be a townhome, a, a home, a, a multi-unit residence, like a ranch type like style residence. I, I just want to put myself in that position. But the one thing I wanted to do first and foremost, because when they first brought me on into this industry was to primarily do refinancing. Um, so with the company I'm with now, they've kind of transitioned me to doing primarily purchase. And I wanted to learn on somebody else's dime how the purchase part works because 
um, you know, once I get into the home, I know exactly what I need to do in order to try to take advantage of it. But how to actually get into it in the first place was kind of a uh, kind of a, um, a unique situation for me at the time. Well, that's the same with a lot of our listeners, you know, so you fit into the boat of a lot of our listeners that one, you can, ha- you're knowledgeable, just like Ebony, um, knowledgeable on the mortgage side, right? But not necessarily knowing how to invest, which is what we talk about, right? Is how to get into the investments and the first time home buyers and how to, what what is leading you down that path and how do you get there and what that looks like. So for you, that's really good that, you know, like you said, you're learning on somebody else's dime. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, learn from other man. people's mistakes. Yep, on yeah, somebody bro, else's money. <laughs> my uh, my god brother kind of put me on that man. He was when he before he started doing his own thing with his um as far as marketing was concerned, but he was telling me uh, learning somebody else's time first. But that's uh, so, that's been a blessing. On the investor side, <clears throat> what do you see as how is a loan officer? I know how you guys can be beneficial, but tell me how a loan officer can be beneficial for an investor. So um, I'll be frank. The one thing about um, investing, and I, would, and I mean, again, you guys might be able to touch on this probably a little bit more, but to my understanding, there's a portion of you that is always going to want to take advantage of somebody else's money. Um, and I think that's, <laughs> always. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's primarily where it boils down to. I mean, if, if you can find yourself in a position where you don't have to um, liquidate all of your finances to be in a position to still take advantage of what it is that you're trying to accomplish, then I think that there's a win-win situation for all parties involved. Um, Obviously the lender is gonna benefit just because they're charging a rate of interest. You're gonna uh, obviously benefit because you're getting the residents of the property that you're looking for. And then obviously if there's a tenant or tenants involved, um, they'll obviously have somebody somewhere to, you know, do whatever that they're they're requiring to do. But um, I think it's just primarily just a simple fact that you're not utilizing and you're not not utilizing all of your liquidable asset. I would think that's primarily the biggest benefit. And then another question, do you guys get people who are refinancing from say a hard money lender over to a conventional loan? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as long as you, um, you know, have deeds or titles to show proof of your um, ownership then absolutely that's, that's one of those things that happens probably a lot more often than not. Um, I think people, um, go into like a a construction or like a new build and perhaps don't necessarily want to go through uh, or sometimes some lenders don't actually offer construction loans so they'll get the house built and everything will come out you know the way that they need it to and we'll send out an appraiser to make sure that everything is um as far as compliance with the uh the state or the county that you're located in and as long as that's all good then there's no reason why you can't take advantage of a lower rate again the difference between qualified mortgages and there's other mortgage options that we offer. For instance, we offer bank statement loans. We offer, you know, um, loan programs where, for instance, like if you're self-employed, and I think I'm not sure if I saw this on the list of questions. If you're self-employed, no, put us on game. Of, this is a huge thing, man. Self-employed borrowers, when it comes to uh, lenders, it's kind of a, it's kind of a catch twenty-two. Um, the way Uncle Sam sees it is, look, if you are going to write off as much as you can, which we totally understand. I mean, I think if I was self-employed, I'd do the exact same thing. But if you write off as much as you can um, in the sense that, you know, hey, I had whatever sort of however you and your CPA or whoever you do your taxes with um, or however you go about your taxes. If you write that off, Uncle Sam's going to simply state, hey, if you're not paying taxes on it, we're not going to allow you to utilize it to qualify for a loan that we're lending. So if you make $150,000 a month, 
and all you can show on your tax returns is 28 grand, we're qualifying you with $28,000. That's it. So if you plan on purchasing or if you know you're going to refinance or if you think you're in the process of refinancing or if you're possibly going to refinance, you're possibly going to purchase and you're self-employed, highly suggest for the year previously or that year, claim your income, claim as much of it as you possibly can. You'll take the L for that one tax year, but you will be taking the L from the convenience of your couch and your new residence. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's one of those things that, I mean, you'd be surprised. Like I can literally work with individuals who have, um, if they don't have all of the facets, like all of the criteria, we can't, we, we can't take two out of three. Like you can have 740 credit and you can have a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash in the bank. If you have uh, a tax return that shows that you have, you know, $30,000 worth of income yearly, I probably can't get you qualified for 300,000. Um, you can have the hundred thousand in cash and you can make 200 grand a month. If your credit showing 620, I can't do nothing for you. Um, wow. You know, and like, and like, obviously you can have, you know, 740 credit and you can have, you know, $150,000 worth of, uh, of, of income on a monthly basis. Um, the asset portion of it, we can get around that just because um, there's ways to either, you know, come up with money for down payment, like we talked about earlier, or, uh, and I'm sure Courtney can attest as well, your seller can help cover some of your costs for your loan. So there's ways to where you don't necessarily have to come out of pocket when it comes to a closing cost as well. So. Not um, in California. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, in other states. Not in California, it, no. <laughs> it's hard. So it's hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. They you, have to you, like, you, you got to offer Buyers don't like have any rights in California. Yeah. Right, yeah. You got to offer like a whole another 100,000 yeah. almost just to get them to say, yeah, we'll sign off on 6% of yeah. your seller's concessions. So. Yeah, the seller <laughs> doesn't hard. have any rights, but... But but if you if you present as a seller, if you um, have all your disclosures, if you have your inspection, if you have uh, your appraisal, you have everything all in line, right? And then you have the buyer come through. The buyer does have leverage uh, once you get into escrow because they don't want to jump off the market. So that's a that's one way of trying to get some sort of leverage as a as a buyer. But yeah. I will definitely yeah. note that. I will note that. Note yeah, that. yeah, oh. no, yeah. That's something. Only way to have leverage because you don't want to go back on the. You don't want to go back on the market. No, I, I didn't actually. Ironically enough, I have a, uh, a loan that I'm working on right now with a gentleman out in Washington, and um, his his uh, realtor reached out to me like I would say maybe two weeks after we started the process, and they reduced the sellers. I mean, the purchase price by like four thousand, and then on top of reducing the purchase price. They increased the seller's concessions from like two grand to nine grand. And so I was like, hey, is there something wrong with the inspection? Like, did something <laughs> like not show up right? Or was there, you know, and she was like, no, they just know that they have a committed borrower that's uh, qualified. So they don't want to take the chance of losing it. I was like, wow. Don't I take the chance of losing it. That's crazy. That is definitely their first. Um, but yeah, when you got a veteran like that, that's that a VA, you know, a VA loan program where you know that they can get everything financed and they have good credit and you've already seen the pre approval letter. It's, you're right. They, they definitely have a little bit more leverage at that stage. Um, and no one wants to go back on the market. And then if you go back on the market, everyone's like, well, why are you, why are you going back? What yeah, what's wrong with the house? What's wrong with the house? Yeah. You know, and that's the, that's the first thing. That's what I'm, what I'm dealing with right now. Um, and I said, how'd you lose? How'd you lose the, the deal? And she said, oh, COVID. COVID happened. And first time home buyers. And they did not want to. They just got cold feet. 
that's what she said. They just who knows what really happened. Some real some realtors are real honest with you, and some are just you know playing. They don't want to show their hand. But um, she's back on the market now, and she's got to go back to all those previous people that uh, didn't win the contract and, and say, hey, there's nothing wrong with the house. Come back, come 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 back to me. <laughs> Baby, come back. <laughs> Baby, come back to me. Nobody wants to be in that position. So yeah, in, in that respect, you as a buyer have the rights. But prior to where that. You, um, where, what market are you in in California? Uh, Northern California, Silicon Valley, the Bay. Is there anything that you want to share that you think that our listeners might find particularly helpful? So exactly what I was trying to think of as we speak. We usually talk about, you know, just like inspirational things or any things like that you want to share, books, podcasts, oh, or, you know, some podcasts. Okay, let him ask about the book. Or we can okay, even be okay. fun because this is during the COVID situation. So if you're not reading anything, maybe you're binging out on a show, you know, something like that, you know, we're, we're open to it. One thing I was going to say that like um, when it comes down to like for those who are trying to purchase or kind of have like a little bit of the um, apprehension when it comes to purchasing, like not sure if it's for you, just for not sure if, you know, you're prepared and so forth. Like the um, one thing I would say is like, man, just take the time to like reach out or go online and fill out the little information so somebody can contact you so that you can at least have the conversation. There's so many people that are paying way more for rent than what you would pay for a home. And there are so many different loan scenarios and options that um, we kind of touched on briefly here, but it's just a lot of different facets to it to where um, even in some of my down payment assistance options, like our scenarios, I've literally seen people get paid to get keys to a house. Um, so there's, there's no reason why I would tell you not to at least just try and see how, you know, what's available for you. Like it, it might be a roll of the dice and ultimately you might end up being in the same position that you're currently in, but uh, at least you have the knowledge and the, um, I guess the, the, the wisdom per se to see exactly where you stand and what's necessary in order for you to get, you know, to the next position. But um, home ownership, you know, it's a, one of those things that they deem as kind of like the American dream, but it's, it's really not something that is uh, stifling or as, um, chaotic or crazy as people think it is. It's, it's, it's quite frankly, I think probably just as easier, if not easier than purchasing a vehicle. Um, outside of that, man, we just binge watched Ozarks for the last, like, I don't know, five days. <laughs> Me um, too! <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know where we were for the, like, the last four years when we missed the first two seasons. So, Me too! Yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> That, that was amazing, and I think he's giving me the inspiration to not only take this uh, <laughs> take this residential mortgage stuff to the like, commercial residence, but I want to <laughs> something Me those too. Lines. I want to learn the commercial side. Me too. Me too. Yeah, I'm anxious to get to that point, but I think that again the uh, the idea of like having like just a multi-unit residence, man, just starting with a duplex and then going from there to like something like a four-unit residence, something like that, it puts you in a position where you can start looking at commercial. Um, and actually seeing things come to fruition. But, um, you know, that's, that's my two cents. That's kind of like where I see myself going. Yes, and multi-unit, we've talked about that in the past, especially with the life hack of, um, or housing hack of living on one side and renting out the other and having the other side pay for your side. So you can essentially pay, you know, what people pay in rent is usually less than someone's mortgage, right? So if you have a duplex, more than likely, you can get it financed to the fact that you rent out the other side it's completely paying for your your living as well so Absolutely. yeah that's really good information for them to just try it out and look it up and see what they can get 
So, okay, well, this was great. Thank you so much, Raymond. And let's see, start off with telling people how to reach you because since you were licensed in 15 states, I'm pretty sure you can help out a lot of people, but how can people reach you? Uh, yeah, you can reach me um, via my um, direct phone number at the office. It's just 469-324-4292. Um, obviously, with none of us being in the office, everything is obviously uh, forwarded to my cell phone. Um, and then anytime you Google my name along with New American, you can always check out my reviews and everything else online. Awesome. I love it. You in the Bay? You doing, you doing business in the Bay? I do business uh, everywhere on the West Coast. I got Washington, Oregon, Cali, all the way down in Nevada and Arizona. Um, and then on the East Coast, I am in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, uh, Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, South Carolina, um, Tennessee, Florida, Louisiana. Um, all of them. All people. Them. All <laughs> people. <laughs> not quite, but not quite yet. But yeah, a lot, a lot of them. Um, but yeah, uh, by all means, man. If you get something in the bay, or if I come across something, by all means, I would definitely keep you in consideration for sure. Hey, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we. So when we get these like leads, what happens is we we get people to. Um, that are contacting us obviously to kind of see what the steps are so i do like the pre-approval process and once we get them pre-approved um we ha offer a realtor concierge service which i think that you know if i don't know anybody in that specific area or state uh, i definitely highly recommend it not only because um it gives them you know the opportunity to work with a realtor who you know knows the area who's you know been vetted who's patient um, but it also offers them a financial incentive because it helps cover some of their costs uh, but in the event that I, you know, know somebody in that specific area, I just will send you that client along with their pre-approval and what they have, you know, or what they're trying to accomplish. That's certainly good to know. <laughs> 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 I can appreciate it, right? And likewise, all realtors have their preferred loan officers because we know that we can they get do. that deal pushed in front. Oh, Raymond's going to take care of me first. He's going he's gonna to put my stuff up there so we can get this deal closed. You know, we, we on, we're on a clock. Well, thank you, Raymond. Thank you for being our first male interviewee. I really appreciate you. Uh, we you. appreciate you. Any closing remarks, ladies? No, everybody, make sure you wash your hands and continue <laughs> to social distance. 20 seconds. <laughs> continue to social distance. And oh, I do have some announcements. Um, everyone, I gave out the wrong email address last week. <laughs> It's realwomenre at gmail.com. Also, uh, we have a Facebook group. So uh, if you're looking for a community or a way to virtually network, go find us on Facebook. It is Real Women Real Estate um, on Facebook. Okay. Which is the same as our Instagram because we've gotten several DMs and we appreciate them. So you guys continue to send your questions and everything. If you want to hear about anything specific, you can reach us at Real Women Real Estate. And again, you can just call Ray. Call yeah. Ray if you need a loan. Well, once again, Ray, thank you so much for joining us. And everyone, that was episode nine. Be safe. All right. Peace out. Out. Bye. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.